know what that means? Everything. Anglo-thieves. Gettle's gone. Oh my god, you people have just failed me. Failed me utterly. Congratulations, Scotland. We have just gone so I hear an awful lot of judgment in your voice. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode... Oh, 63. Shit. 63. 63. I got you back. I got you, fam. You. <laughs> 63 of Anglo Fees. Happy holidays. We survived Christmas. We're coming up on New Year's. 2017 was a thing. It was a thing we did. Um, it's a thing we endured. It's a thing we endured. But also, yeah. I think we did. Yeah, we did some cool things. We did some cool things. So, welcome to... Oh, motherfucker. Hi, I'm Raiden. I'm Alina. And I'm Kaylee. And we're... You know, back in our respective homes again, still. It sucks. It's terrible. It's not as good as being together in Edinburgh. In, in it's definitely not. So, yeah. How is everybody doing? I'm tired. Mm. I've, I still have a couple of days left on my week of vacation vegetation. It's been wonderful. <laughs> I want to be retired. Like, if this is going to be retirement, retirement sounds glorious. Mm. I fell down a Final Fantasy fourteen hole this weekend. If any of our listeners play, shout out. And I'm just tired. I got home. I went home to Minnesota. And I flew back Tuesday night. And while my flight back was not a saga like Chrissy Teigen and John Legend's trip to Tokyo where halfway into their eight hour flight the plane got turned around because somebody was on the plane who wasn't supposed to be <laughs> were they filming Home Alone 10 or apparently not because if they were filming Home Alone 10 then the plane would have gone all the way there but like we as of this recording we have no answers as to what happened but I had a mini adventure on a plane this month yeah. Yeah, we flew. So this month we went to Louisiana to see my in-laws, and it there's we couldn't find direct flight to Baton Rouge, so there's a connection in Atlanta. So we're sitting in Toronto, and the plane is like half an hour late, and, and we're checking like, okay, still making our connection, still making. And by the time the plane plane is you know two hours late, the hope of making the connection is kind of dead and gone. Yeah. They, apparently, the plane has to be checked because it's flying on a on a emergency generator of something, something, and then the person doing the check-in went to the wrong plane somehow, <laughs> and they had to flag them down. And it like we will we were boarded and everything, literally sitting there for two hours. And then, as during the flight, we keep on checking like the Delta app to see uh, if there's any hope of making a connection. And suddenly, the connection is delayed. Okay. And we're making it. And then we get there, and then the connection has been delayed an hour, two hours, three hours, four 
god. It it couldn't fly. Apparently, like, it was just late flying in from Baton Rouge. And I know that was the weekend in the middle of December where, like, the the middle America got, like, stone, snowstormed in. Uh-huh. I don't know if that was related, but I do know when we landed in Baton Rouge and went outside, we saw white stuff on the ground. And Jim and I looked at each other and was like, is this snow? It's crunchy. And then we looked closer and it's table salt. And we realized, oh, the South, I, I do not make fun of you. I understand you do not have infrastructure or anything, but you, you, you literally salted your roads. It was so adorable. I couldn't get over it the entire trip. That's so cute. You I tried. Know. You tried. They tried so hard. It's so cute. Right. Well, my plane, they started boarding like first class got on the plane and then they were like so here's a thing uh we have some issues with the plane and it looks like we're gonna have to do a plane swap so sit tight and they kicked first class off the plane and they said yeah we have to do a plane swap the plane we're gonna put you on is coming in from Costa Rica. Is it taking you to Costa Rica? Because that would have been nice. That would have been nice. But no. And so we I ended up waiting for two hours. Which, you know, in the grand scheme of thing, wasn't bad. It could have been a lot worse. But it was just like, man, I'm sitting here. I'm sick. My sinuses hurt, and I just want to get home to my bed and my and my Stilton. I didn't bring Stilton with me because that would be silly. You brought you brought Fergus. We have seen pictures. Well, not Fergus. No, that's you brought not the, Fergus. that that you brought that that cow hat. Yes, the cow hat. I brought my nephew. Um, I will ask my sister if she will give us permission to post a picture of it because it's adorable. And I got home after two, and I should have been home by midnight. So, in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't terrible, but it was still like, man. Kaylee didn't have to fly, but she's also home for the holidays, which is why she sounds like talking like she's talking from the bottom of a well. Speaking of Anglophy's holiday traditions, old headsets. Yes. <laughs> oh, this isn't even a headset. These are just like headphones I paid about five pounds for. Hmm. I, mean, I didn't have to, I didn't have to go far. I mean, it is an hour on the bus from where I live to home. So, I mean, the only problem for me was I had about six bags on me. I had my rucksack, I had my handbag, I had my laptop bag, I had all of my Christmas presents for people, and then like just an extra bag full of stuff I couldn't fit anywhere else. Did your handbag have emergency shortbread in it? No, I, I just oh. had a lot of chocolate and stuff for everyone else's Christmas. Oh, well, that's fair. So I came home on Saturday, uh, the night before our film society had had a screening of The Shop Around the Corner, the Jimmy Stewart movie. That one's the, adorable. Which is adorable, and it's so much better than You've Got Mail, which it was remade into. Yes. And then we watched a short horror film called Treevenge, which is what happens when all the Christmas trees in the world start murdering people at Christmas time. Nice. Hmm. 
there was a scene of like a tree stomping on a baby. It was it was fun. Spoiler alert! The kind of thing Darren Aronofsky wishes he could pull off. Uh, <laughs> now he's gonna and, try. And, uh, and then we watched this cheesy eighties kind of horror comedy just because it was set at Christmas. And then we watched the episode of Frasier where Frasier has to pretend to be Jewish. <laughs> and then there was just whatever alcohol everyone brought. So for the first time, I had port, which was interesting. I love port. Oh, it's a bit too rich for me. You know, I don't think I've ever had it. It's it's a wine, it right? Now, yeah, it's a it's a fortified wine, so it can be. You drink it in small doses. It's it's a it's very sweet dessert wine. It is now what my childhood church uses for communion. So, what one of our holiday traditions is, mom is with the the altar guild at our church, which means she helps set up for communion and make sure the candles are lit and full of of the paraffin wax and everything. But at Christmas time, there's so much greenery around the altar, they need somebody tall to help get the candles off the altar. So she drags me to help. Aww. She's like, that's why I grew you tall. I mean, it's a, the church we've been going to since I was six. So, of course, as a high schooler, at one point, we snuck into the sacristy and tried the communion wine. And it used to not be port, but it's still bought in gallon jugs. <laughs> so it's not great port. <laughs> um, so we went to church and helped out with communion and resetting the altar and everything. And singing. So I was like, I don't know if I need to go. I did go to a church service in York, so I should be good. Although, for the year. (laughs) It wasn't my denomination. And also, I didn't get to sing, and I'm still really salty about it. So I went. And then we went to my aunt's house where she makes chicken wild rice soup. My cousin makes deviled eggs. My uncle this year made pulled pork, which is delicious. And we eat. And it's ridiculous. And then we leave. And lately, the other part of the tradition is I walk in and I'm like, somebody hand me a fucking beer. Because everybody else is stressing me out. And my boy cousin does because he knows what his job is. (laughs) You have one boy cousin? I have one boy cousin and two girl cousins. We have, I mean, I haven't had my holidays yet. We, like I said, we went down earlier in December, before, way before Christmas, just to, um, because um, Jim's uh, dad was also visiting. Uh, his parents are divorced, so we actually got the whole family in one place. We, we took a big family photo, too. I'll show you guys on Facebook. Not you, listeners. Just the, the my friends whom I love and who get to see all my silly not, pictures. Not that she doesn't love you, listeners. She just loves you in a different way. That's right. And But my family so, uh, celebrates New Year's. This is what Russians have. Russian Orthodox do have Christmas, but it's actually in January. But Russia in general has New Year's, which we still celebrate. Uh, sometimes here, in mostly we go 
to uh, my brother's house. It's just easier for my littlest nephew, and plus my mom doesn't have to clean up. This year they'll also have friends, so we'll sometimes we go to restaurants because they have the the Russian restaurants that cater to like the expat community. They'll do a big New Year's thing where you just buy the table and they'll set it for however many people, and they'll you know pile food on the table and they'll be singing and and performances and whatnot. But also, I mean, performers will be singing, but once everybody gets drunk, they'll also be singing. I'm sure there's a whole repertoire of songs. We all sing when we're drunk. But this year, it'll just be my brothers. There'll be gifts and a ton of food. Is this on New Year's Day or New Year's Eve? New Year's Eve. So you drink at midnight. Like at 10, 11 p.m., you drink to say goodbye to the old year, and then the clock tower in moscow st- <laughs> strikes midnight which obviously has will have happened a long time but a lot of russian tv stations will you know um show it in russia be- because also it's a big country with a lot of time zones they'll show it on your midnight they'll show moscow clock mm-hmm. striking 12 and on the strike of 12 you open the champagne Whee! when you're a kid you get to stay up like it was always my favorite because you got to stay up as late as you wanted so uh, very stubbornly i stayed up to like 6 a.m just because i was gonna get the very last like minute of staying up at night i could (laughs) listeners we had a a kind of hilarious exchange at the end of uh u.s thanksgiving weekend when I said, I've decorated for Christmas, look at my wreath. I don't have enough ornaments or space for a Christmas tree, so I made a wreath with my ornaments. And Alina was like, it's not December yet, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I was like, it's after Thanksgiving, that's when you decorate for Christmas. And it's hilarious, like, especially around my neighborhood in Boston. The day after Thanksgiving, people run out and put up these elaborate light displays on their house. They... They go up the day after Thanksgiving. That is what you spend your Black Friday doing. Presumably after you have gotten up at 4 a.m. to go shopping. Has Black Friday sort of sidled its way across the border? Black Friday has definitely sidled uh, its way across the border simply because Canadian businesses have to compete with Canadians, you know, doing the the border shopping dash. Especially, like, um, online shopping where you just get the shipping. Unfortunately for Canadian businesses... We also have Boxing Day. They're expected to have Boxing Day sales. Mm-hmm. This is something Kaylee will get, but our American listeners may not. Boxing Day is the day after Christmas. Mm-hmm. So everybody still expects them to have Boxing Day, but nowadays they're also kind of some expected to have Black Friday just to compete. Sorry feel, about that. Yeah, I, I feel for Canadian businesses. Uh, not all do like my husband's business didn't, but they did do um, Boxing Day sales. Mm-hmm. And they didn't bother with Black Friday. He owns a he owns a, a small store, a hobby store. Yeah, and I was gonna say about decorating on December because in Russia, what we do is we tend to decorate in the middle of December because it stays up until January 13, which is Old New Year, which is not an official holiday. It's uh, because Russia didn't switch to this calendar until after the revolution. Mm. sometimes you still um i and i forget which one's julian which one's gregorian i want to say this one's gregorian we're on gregorian we're on gregorian russia used to be on julian um this is why russian orthodox christmas is on january 6 because the church is still 13 days behind 
Mm-hmm. And the country as a whole was 13 days behind. So uh, there's this... Like con- there's a metaphor there. Yeah. <laughs> so on January 13th, we wish each other a happy old new year. And sometimes I feel like this it's it's okay for your tree to stay up for the two weeks after new year because it's old new year, but then you really run out of excuses. Right. But mine often still stayed up till March because I'm lazy. Yeah, we do Boxing Day sales. I mean, we have tried to replicate Black Friday, but a couple of years ago, a supermarket near where I live had legit, like, dragged down punching in the car park riots. So we all just kind of collectively decided we don't want to go full American on this. America's kind of fucked up on other our shit, no offense. No, that's totally legit. So we, we stick to our Boxing Day sales. Although I was in... Uh, I went. I went shopping yesterday because my parents went to see the Last Jedi, and I already, I'd already seen it. So it was. I was actually much busier at shopping yesterday than it was before Christmas, mm-hmm. which was a surprise to me. But I was just like, all of you people need to get out of my way because I'm not really a bargain hunting kind of shopper, especially when it comes to clothes. I hate clothes shopping. Mm-hmm. And every clothes shop that I, I like getting stuff out of, I was just so mobbed. I was like, no, I'm just going to go online and do my shopping because I don't want to have to deal with the people right now. Yeah, it's always been convenient for me uh, celebrating New Year's because since we moved to Canada because I used to get a lot of my presents just on Boxing Day sales. I still had a week left. Mm-hmm. But this year, my family finally agreed to essentially Secret Santa, where everybody gets one person a gift because buying for everybody's a headache, and nobody wants anything. You know, it's just we're all adults; we buy our own stuff. So we just make sure everybody's going to have one gift under the tree, and that'll be that. Yeah. Um, Kaylee Hogmany, Hogmany, Hogmany. Tell us about that. What is that? How does that work? It's just. It's just New Year in Scotland. Okay. I mean, New Year's Eve is a reasonably big deal across the UK, but it's kind of more of a traditional thing in Scotland. Mm-hmm. It used to be that you would do first footing, which was basically after the bells strike, and it is a New Year. You would go and visit your your loved ones, your family or friends or whatever. That's kind of died out because who wants to trail from house to house at, you know, midnight in mm-hmm. December slash January? But we are known for having pretty big street parties. I've never done them because it involves being outside in December and they're also very expensive. Edinburgh is a huge one that mm-hmm. takes up basically the entirety of the new town, which is like all of Princess Street, all of George Street. It's, it's mental. So I don't do any of that stuff. I usually just stay in and eat cheese. That, that's New Year for me. I, that's I'm a not pretty massive, good New Year. Like, I really don't care about partying and stuff like that. I don't like being around those kind of crowds and bars. Places I like drinking in are usually like somewhat quieter than that, or I can at least find a quiet area. Mm-hmm. So I, I really don't care that much about Hogmanay, and I've got the house to myself this year because my parents are going to a concert in Aberdeen. They're actually going out for Hogmanay for the first time in years, so mm-hmm. they'll be they'll be the revelers. I'm just going to watch the same terrible television shows that Scotland puts on every Hogmanay. Their Hogmanay special that was clearly recorded in, like, June. Yeah, I've got a lot, um... Let's see, there is a movie in Russia, Irony of Fate. It's... 
1975, so I was going to say 25 years old, but no, it's it's a little older than that now. <laughs> it's play. It's set at New Year's and plays. It's kind of like the way Christmas Story is in America, where um, like a TBS will play it. <laughs> TBS will play it. 24 hour marathon. I've yeah, I've yeah, I've, yeah. But in Russia, it, d- it does not play in 24 hours, but it does play every New Year's Eve. Um, I've got the DVD. I played for myself. It's lovely. It's essentially like a love story. A man gets completely smashed on New Year's Eve, being out with his buddies in preparation for the celebrations. Gets put on a on a plane instead of one of his buddies. Gets flown from Moscow to St. Petersburg. Well, Leningrad back then. You know, wakes up just enough to tell the taxi driver his address, which also exists there. <laughs> And he hasn't changed the key yet, so the key fits because it's factory standard. Don't ask. This is the Soviet times. So mm-hmm. he, he essentially breaks in what he doesn't know, lies down, and then the woman who lives there shows up, finds this guy on her couch, and slapstick comedy ensues, then tragic comedy ensues, then like love story ensues, and, and then happy ending in the end. I love this movie so much. I've seen it, I mean count how many years old I am, and I've seen it multiple times, and at least once in every year, so, but I still love it. <laughs> well, as you might have been able to tell from my sound of utter disgust, I hate a Christmas story. I hate it. It's my cousin's fault. It's my one of my girl cousin's fault, because there was... I think the first or second year, the TBS is like, we're going to have 24 hours of a Christmas story. She was like, we're going to watch it like all the times. So we went over to her house for Christmas Eve. And she's like, we're watching a Christmas story. And then we had to go to the nursing home Christmas morning for Christmas with our grandpa. And she insisted on turning the TV on to a Christmas story. And then they came over to our house for Christmas dinner. And she turned on a Christmas story. So that year, I think I saw the whole movie twice, but in pieces, and I hate it. Before it, I was indifferent to it, and now I hate it. So when they did a Christmas story live on whatever channel did it a couple of weeks ago, I was watching The Sound of Music because Christopher Plummer is the best, and he's gotten hotter as I've gotten older. <laughs> I didn't realize they did a Christmas story live. I kind of missed. Did nobody live vlog it? We live tweeted. We had such Not a fun really. time live snarking and all the others. Not really. I think no one really cared. No. I and didn't. Like I said, there were I didn't there know. were a bunch of us who were tweeting about the sound of music. It's called being in the ratings by the sound of music. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can I say that, like the Christmas story is not a thing like at all in the UK. I had never heard of this movie until a few years ago. It is just not a thing here at all. You're fine. Does the UK have? Okay, what what does UK traditionally air? Is it like Doctor Who Christmas special? Well, we get Doctor Who Christmas special, which I didn't watch even though I really did kind of want to celebrate the end of Stephen Moffat's Reign of Terror, but I just couldn't be bothered. Film-wise, the two you're most likely to see in, in the UK are The Wizard of Oz and The Great Escape. Neither of which are Christmas movies. Interesting. Um, the Great Escape is a movie about POWs trying to escape 
concentration camp, no, not a concentration camp, POW camp during yeah. the Second World War. It's about eight hours long and it's often very funny, but often very depressing. And it has nothing to do with Christmas, but it's been on Christmas television every year and you just expect it. All the better to drink to get drunk to. <laughs> yeah. It's that kind of thing that you can kind of watch with every generation of your family, mostly because everyone's going to fall asleep during it at some point. <laughs> Fair. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, British television during Christmas season is just really strange in general. There are all of these things that are just like the Christmas specials of shows that were only on like two weeks ago. They're like, hey, it's the Strictly Come Dancing Christmas special. And it's like your show ended about two weeks ago. Like we have not had time to get sick of you yet. We are very sick of you, actually. I don't really watch that much TV during it. I mean, my parents have the full Apple package, so we can kind of watch anything. So we just ended up watching musicals. We ended up watching Oliver, which is like the one of the few musicals that my family can all kind of agree on. <laughs> because my dad was in a high school production of Oliver when he was a kid, and he's not shut up about it since. <laughs> oh. like he, he was supposed to catch one of the actors, and he deliberately let him fall to the floor in rehearsal. Because that was the kind of person that my dad was, and still is actually. He knows all the he knows all the words to it. Mm-hmm. He can't remember what happened like yesterday in the news, but he can remember all the words to Oliver. Mm-hmm. So we watched that. Uh, we we caught the end of Singing in the Rain. That's gone every year as well. Well, I didn't see all of it. That that's still raw. R.I.P. Debbie Reynolds. Yeah. Uh, I don't really watch much. I mean, for me, the best part about Christmas is just. When everyone goes away, you just lie in the dark and quiet. Mm. But we had a really quiet Christmas this year anyway. It was me, my mum, my dad, and my grandmother. Because my sister spent the day with her husband and their friends and their family's kids. So they, they had meals together. And then she came and visited on Boxing Day. And I got presents. And I gave her the present I bought her. And like I got major credit for that present, by the way. <laughs> I bought her an Urban Decay palette for Ooh. eyeshadow. So. Mm-hmm. I wash for some reason uh, but we bought um, well my sister bought my dad a record player uh, which he's been very excited about and my mum bought him the writer's vinyl so we were setting it up and they didn't have everything in the box Oh, like, we must have got like the display version or something so we tried to wire it up they didn't have the the connector cable to plug it in so Daryl ran up and was like okay we're just going to use Kaylee's laptop charger and it must have been clearly too powerful because all we heard was a pop and a boom and then there was a bunch of smoke. Oh, oh no. no! So they, they're going to get him another one. It's just fine. But I think Daryl was just kind of annoyed that it didn't work, which I get. Um, I think he guessed what it was going to be anyway. <laughs> like, I'm going to write down on this piece of paper what I think you've got me. <laughs> and then I'm going to get Robin to read it out when I finish unwrapping this thing to prove that it was true. And he <laughs> was right. I got him a video game. I got him the Crash Bandicoot remake. PS4. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I got my mom some perfume and a candle and then my cousin's baby boy got some Paddington bear book because every child should have Paddington yes yeah. and he's not old enough for Katie Moore I get which is the traditional Scottish children's book <laughs> <laughs> you'll get that when he's about two or three mm-hmm. but we were all um, on Christmas Eve we went to visit my grandmother to just like drop off a few things before she came to stay with us the next day and then we didn't realize that she was having a like a, a christmas eve birthday for my my auntie and her like extended family because her partner is a pagan 
like anyone in our family and our family don't like him so just awkwardness all around mm-hmm. but just everyone came there's like all of these people and then all of these children it was like there were so many people in the house it was just a point where me and my mom and my dad looked at each other and like there's just a lot of people so we ran <laughs> yeah but i did get to see my cousin's baby for a little while he's so big now and his name is sunny he's very bonny yeah, now Christmas is done, and I just have all the books that I bought with my money and some DVDs. So. And I've still got two episodes of Twin Peaks to rewatch. So I can lie in my bed reading, basically. Mm-hmm. So, uh, before we wrap up, uh, any traditional foods? We have, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> we have Swedish meatballs for Christmas dinner. And we get the Swedish meatball mix from our local Scandinavian supply store. Because, of course, we have one. And then I took over cooking Christmas dinner seven years ago, eight years ago. As my mom was stuck in Wyoming due to blizzard. And I managed to land in Minneapolis like the, in the two-hour window when planes were landing. And my dad picked me up and took me, so it was Christmas Eve, and took me over to my aunt's house. And my sister ran up to me and said, she did not say hi. She did not say, I'm glad the plane landed and did not skid off the runway into the snow. She said, tell me you know how to make the Swedish meatballs like mom does. (laughs) And I said, yes. And she flung her arms around my neck and said, oh, thank God, Christmas isn't ruined. (laughs) Um, so we have Swedish meatballs some kind of potato one year I made risotto and people seemed to like it and then the next year they were like can we have potatoes I miss the potatoes I worked really hard on that risotto people Um, so this year I did mashed potatoes I may have put in too much butter maybe it's a lie. I didn't. There's no such thing. Yeah, I'm like, too much butter. <laughs> Who's going to say, oh, there's too much butter in this potato? And I made stuffed mushrooms and Brussels sprouts with sausage. Mm. And a roasted beet salad. Ooh. Stuffed mushrooms sounds amazing. Yeah. Considering that I pulled the recipe more or less out of my butt. Yeah. I mean, you get a mushroom cap and you put stuff in it. What's? Yeah, exactly. And you just had like the kind of Christmas that like the Scars Guards would be very proud of. I would hope so. Like eight out of ten Scars Guards prefer it. That's what we're gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> you can pick which one. We don't really do like. I mean, we do like what is considered the traditional Christmas dinner, which is. The turkey with stuffing and vegetables. We also have ham. Um, sadly, we did not do ham and Coca-Cola. We have done that before, and it's the best we cook ham. So tasty. Yeah. It just makes it like really like you know glossy and gooey and kind of like really good honey soaked ham. Yeah. Um, there should be enough sugar in it, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. Does Does British Coke have real sugar or? We have actual sugar in our Coke. Okay. So I should try this with Canadian or Mexican Coke, is what you're saying. 
Yeah, Nigeria's yeah. got a recipe if you look it up. It's very good. Okay. Uh, like the one family tradition we have, and it's sort of, it's not even that massive one, but it stems back from when we used to go to my grandmother's for Christmas dinner, and it was everyone, like our full extended family, when we were all kids. But it's chipolata sausages that have been drenched in green mustard and fresh honey. Mm-hmm. And then you roast them, and they get all sticky and sweet and sharp, and they're the best. Although one year we decided to swap out the honey for mango chutney and it was even better. Ooh. So good. Oh my god, it was so good. So basically, even if we are stuffed to the gunnels with food, you will always find a way to have an extra sausage. And then we made, and then the next day I made my leftovers sandwich. It, it, it was crispy white bread, which I toasted. I made honey mustard mayonnaise. I smothered the bread in. I put lots of slices of turkey. I sliced up some of the sausages. I put some chopped onions on, chopped brussels sprouts, and it was the best sandwich ever. Go easy, I haven't had breakfast yet today. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know if you've ever seen uh, Tam- uh, Tamil, who was on the Great British Bake Off. There's an episode where he says, I think about that sandwich constantly. Great sandwich I had about 10 years ago. That, that's me and the Oh, sandwich. yeah. <laughs> no, I'm thinking of the leverage thing, where they had their office episode. Anyway, there was a sandwich quote. People will recognize the GIF from Tumblr. Um, traditional food. We don't so much have traditional foods. As, okay, well, every Russian table is stocked with what we call salads, which is not greens. It's just like various cold meals with, with mayonnaise. I don't know. Like, mm-hmm. There's the crab meat one, the salad Olivier, which you should just Google because it's kind of complicated to explain, which... I don't even like that much, but it's like the most Russian thing ever. And there'll be there'll be one that involves fish and beets, and of course, because Russia and mayonnaise. It, it, there'll be just like a table full of these. I should okay, tell no, you. No, seriously, you have to go back and explain because Russia and mayonnaise, as if we're supposed to understand what that means. Because we eat mayonnaise and everything, and also beets. Why? And, and fish. Because that's what we have in the winter, in the cold winter. I don't know. <laughs> it's just an everything. Also, there's this thing that I love that uh, of the few Russian things my husband has spat out, one was tongue, and the other was it's grated cheese, mayonnaise, and grated garlic, which I love. So it's cheese. Oh, that doesn't che- sound too bad. I that. It's amazing. I love it. My husband, the first time he took a bite, didn't know what it was going to be. He didn't really expect the garlic and the mayonnaise. <laughs> See, was, this was fairly early on, so he was still trying to be like polite at the dinner table and find a way to spit it out <laughs> into a napkin. Aww. <laughs> but traditional to my particular family, the only thing I can remember is, this isn't something mom does anymore, but back in Russia, mom would make this her cake for dessert like a layer cake and uh with you know uh, i guess creme fraiche is the the english kind of icing mm-hmm. it's it's really great i look forward to it every year she'd make it like for, say for my birthday sometimes and then she'd make it for the new year dinner because in russia we used to have a huge one hosted with another family we almost it, it was always like a big affair and one and uh she has to make it early and then she would set it on her bedroom window to soak and one year, the dog got to it <laughs> and ate, like, a third of it. My mom, like, cut off where the dog's, like, teeth marks were. <laughs> <And just laughs> <served> the rest. 
mushrooms or shrimp, a can of sweet green peas, a can, salt and pepper, and mayonnaise or sour cream. Yeah, sour cream. That, that, that is, I mean, it kind of constitutes a salad. Uh, it's The reason I don't like it is I don't like pickles in salads. I don't like pickles too, so... So uh, that's why I don't personally. Uh, so I usually eat like the crab salad, which is again, it'll be like whatever crab meat out of the package, uh, hard boiled egg diced, mayonnaise or sour cream. Maybe corn, you know, mixed in. So, like Russian salads, we we have a whole. Uh, let me see if I can find you herring in a fur coat. What? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, we have herring too. It gets put on the the table for Christmas Eve. I don't eat it because I don't like it. So that's sweet. Google herring in a fur coat, but really, oh, apparently, very boringly in English, dressed herring. But in Russia, specifically under a fur coat, something my grandma made a lot. <clears throat> so it's a, it's a layer of herring, pickled herring. Oh my god! It's purple because beets. Hey. It's beets on top. It's mayonnaise and beets. Oh my god! That's a thing. That is a thing that exi- I mean, like I shouldn't be casting aspersions on anyone else's salads, I do hail from the upper Midwest. And we have Snickers salad. (laughs) I just think this herring looks sort of like a really strange kind of lasagna pudding. (laughs) Also, remember when Hannibal made Haladietz and I got so super excited? Which one was that? So Haladietz is when you have, I guess he had a whole bunch, but I my grandma usually makes it with meat. And it's like in a broth that you then um, freeze into a jello, and then you like turn the bowl over. Uh-huh. In oh, the yeah. show... Um, Was that all the fish? Yeah, I think he made it with a fish. Like I said, my grandmother made it with meat, and I like loved it, loved it. I'm trying to remember uh, Janice Poon, right? That was the food dresser on the show. Yeah. yeah, she made it really elaborate, but like it's it's a really staple food, and like I said, like I I haven't had it in forever, but I really loved. I think that was the one that when they did the outtakes on the show, it was like one of the few things that Lawrence Fishburne and Matt Nicholson actually spat out because <laughs> 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 they treated that show like their personal dinner service. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, wouldn't you? Well, obviously, there is a great bit if you read the the Hannibal cookbook, which is just the greatest cookbook ever written. The puns, oh, the puns, uh, <laughs> where Janice Poon basically calls out Raul Esparza for being a spitter because spitters <laughs> are quitters. <laughs> but uh, he's not here for your public shaming. Also, in the great Anglophiles holiday tradition, we will always find a way to work Hannibal into a show. That's right. Well, what else do you expect us to do? You can't talk about American Gods anymore. Brian Fuller has left it. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's... 2017 took everything away from us. <laughs> Not everything. No, I'm, I'm being melodramatic. That is still mine, but... Why? Yeah. I know. I know. It sucks. Uh, and I mean, I suppose, you know, Neil Gaiman's still an executive producer, and it's his book, and I just... Well, both the showrunners went, right? It's dreadful. I'm like... I... Both of them went. It wasn't like... No one got fired. No one got accused of anything, which I think was the panic that we all had when we saw the news. Yeah. Well, there was the moment where I saw the news about Brian... I'll, I'll admit this. I saw the news about Brian Singer, and I got my Brian's mixed up. Oof. <laughs> they have worked together. Like, The Mockingbird Lead Pilot is directed by Brian Singer. Mm. But yeah, I, I think a lot of people did have that problem as well, but no, it's nothing to do with that. Basically, they, they said they wanted more money, and then stars weren't going to give it to them, and apparently didn't want to have as much creative control. So they walked. But it's mm. like, this is one of the more successful things on your network. Wouldn't you want to give them the money? Right. I'm just afraid whoever's going to take over is going to take out all the really interesting talking. Mm. Probably. <sighs> At least we had one season, just like we had one season of Sleepy Hollow. <laughs> and one really great season of Pushing Davies. Hmm. But Brian Fuller is doing, he's doing amazing stories, which is like going to be on Apple, apparently. But he's doing mm -hmm. it with Steven Spielberg, so he's okay. Yeah. So, can someone get that man a show that he can stay on for longer than two seasons? I know, right? Like, Hannibal, like, broke the Brian Fuller curse, and then, like, now it's just, he's just preempting it. <laughs> and Neil Gaiman's Good Omens is coming out in 2018? Or yeah, did I, they're, yeah. I think there's... Yeah, they're still in production. I'm quite excited about because the book is is great fun. I really need to I'm read that book. Jack Whitehall's going to be in it because Jack Whitehall's the worst, but also the rest of the cast is great. Mm-hmm. Also, poor Michael Sheen looks so terrible with that blonde hair. <laughs> so bad. Yeah, I did just, it will be going up on screen right here, but I did write, like, shows that are coming out uh, on Amazon next year. Mm -hmm. There's a show coming out called Carnival Row. Are you familiar with it? No. No. So this was like a really hotly hyped movie script that has now been turned on TV series. And originally Guillermo del Toro was going to direct it and he's not directing it anymore. But like, tell me at what point you start laughing. Okay. Carnival Row will follow mythical creatures who have fled their war-torn homeland and gathered in the city as tensions are simmering between citizens and the growing immigrant population. At the centre of the drama is an investigation. <laughs> you start at the of the drama is the investigation into a string of unsolved murders which are eating away at whatever uneasy peace still exists. Orlando Bloom stars as Rycroft's fellow Orlando Bloom is a bloke, but also how many shows are basically fables? Without fables. They, they're never gonna get they want fables but without that like uncomfortable like libertarianism stuff. Right. Poor fables, like they get, they keep getting made, kind of, by everybody else, but they don't get made as actual fables. I mean, they all want to do fables, but without having Bill Willingham anywhere near it. Like, that's what it is. And because then he won't have to go on TV and be like, "Yeah, this is all a metaphor for Israel," and it's like, "Oh no, this is going to get really messy." <sighs> but like, Orlando Bloom is playing a character called Rycroft Illustrate. Mm-hmm. Cara Delevingne is playing a character called Vignette Stone Moss. Mm -hmm. 
who else is there? Simon McBurney is playing Runyon Millworthy. Like, someone is having fun here. This could yeah. be a whole train wreck, but I'm here for it. I'm here for it. I'm also especially here for it if it does a lot better than Bright. Because it'll make a, a certain Axe and us very sad and pouty. Oh, accused rapist Max Landis. Is that who you're talking about? You're talking about Max Landis, the man who was just accused of rape. Are we talking about Max? To be clear, I don't know if you're talking about Max Landis, the accused rapist. Allegedly. Allegedly. I said accused. I know. Mm. I find that alleged rapist Max Landis doesn't listen to our show. I wouldn't want him anywhere near this shit. Also cannot Google things you say that I will not transcribe. And therefore will not show up. Mm. He does seem to be um, staying offline, funnily enough. I can't yeah. imagine why. Gee. And also, like, stop ironically watching Bright on Netflix for your hate watch. It counts as a fucking view, okay? Right. I'm also just really bored of let's do allegories for racism and racial tensions but we'll have the person of colour be the racist one against like the orc or the elf or some shit like that. Who's played by a white person. Even Jeremy Johns, YouTube film reviewer, who's like the most apolitical person and like a kind, like, you know, nice to movies ever, was like, I was really interested in the concept, the execution Hmm. I mean, like, even, like, the never-off-the-fence kiss-asses of YouTube are, like, their film sucks. Like, the people that accused rapist Max Landis has constantly tried to ingratiate himself with. Like, uh, you got a problem? Mm. You've been waiting for this one for a long time, haven't you, Kaylee? I mean, in a way, yes. I, I don't know how much details I can go into, but that one of the sites that I write for have been investigating him for a while. Hmm. We were aware of at least four other publications that were doing the same. Mm-hmm. All of us were kind of coming up with a similar problem, which is we knew a lot of people who knew that there was essentially an open secret in the industry. They all the were, women, more or less. But that the women that he is accused of targeting, the kinds of women he allegedly went for, tended to be very very vulnerable women who wanted to make their way in that industry and were afraid that their careers were going to be fucked up by this bafflingly popular and powerful man and his even more powerful dad. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and we didn't want to, no one should be forced to go on the record on stuff like this. Even in the aftermath of the Weinstein case and Me Too, this is still a very hard thing to talk about. Right. But even just the fact that there were so many big name people on Twitter who are in that world, people from the comedy world, people from the film criticism world, people from the wrestling world, of which he did a part of, were coming out and saying, I avoid this man like the plague because he's a predator. Mm-hmm. We have stories, you know, get in touch with us. Hey, let me show you the emails that he sent me where he basically blamed me for my own sexual assault, I believe, was one that happened. That clearly has had a big enough impact, but it's not the it's not the final blow because we know from history that men like this will always be given chances. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is a man who has managed to accumulate a very a very zealous fan base, mm-hmm. taken from YouTube communities like Red Letter Media 
and the wrestling world and Reddit, where she spends a lot of time on Reddit. Surprise, surprise. Um, and they are ready to constantly lash out at people. He has, I, I think, not accidentally cultivated a persona that inspires intense devotion from like-minded people mm-hmm. who often tend to come from slightly more fringe elements of politics as much as he wants to claim that he is a progressive most of the rhetoric he spews falls along lines of online misogyny mm-hmm. and that has done very well for him even though he has consistently time and time again written flops written critical disasters written things that didn't really garner that much of a fan base except for his Dirk Gently adaptation of which I saw a distressing number of women defending him once his mm-hmm. allegations like we have all been through the difficult task of having to separate art from the artist and maybe jumping the gun and getting too defensive of bad people because we like their art but doing it for Max fucking Landis respect yourselves <laughs> like fucking love yourself enough to not do that mm-hmm um, so yeah, it's been. I don't take any joy in what's happened because we will probably, like most of these cases, never truly know the extent of the allegations. We will tr- never truly know the extent of how many women, young, powerless, vulnerable, isolated women, he is allegedly said to have abused or harassed. Mm-hmm. And we don't know how much of what has been said as one of the allegations has been that his dad just covers things up for him. Mm-hmm. Unsurprisingly. A guy who is responsible for the death of three people. Surprise. So, like, there's been a lot of things that have come out of the past few months with things like the Harvey Weinstein case. And I don't want to get too much into everything that's happened because so much has happened in this incredibly short amount of time. We'll never be able to fill in caps. My worry is that we will start going backwards. My worry is that everyone will say, oh, well, it's nice to be having the conversation, but we won't actually have the conversation, let alone get anything done. Mm-hmm. So my worry is that Max Landers will lay low for six months, maybe start, I don't know, script doctoring work or something, behind the scenes, doing uncredited stuff, and then slowly make his way back into his character. This was what the Alamo Draft House tried to do with Devin Farachi in the film criticism world until he was called out. So... There's an old joke that if you do something, if you're a man that does something bad in Hollywood, you don't go to jail, you just get a fine. Mm-hmm. If you murder your wife, you don't go to jail, you get a fine. It's, it's, it's the more common joke. Or if you're John Landis, you literally don't go to jail for killing people, you get a fine. So yeah, I am, I'm still really concerned. But I am very glad that he's off Twitter for a while. Especially with the release of a new Star Wars film, because I don't know if I could deal with any more Ray as a Mary Sue shit from that man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So fuck him. Go so fuck yourself, accused rapist Mac London. Well, to... Can I just say, I don't think they've put it on his fucking Wikipedia page either. <laughs> like, I think he's been editing his own Wikipedia page, because it's not on there. Hmm. The, hmm. Interesting. Right, I'm, I'm looking up the talk segment. Talk among yourself. Okay. 
<laughs> and Kaylee engages in journalism on air, listeners. Mm-hmm. So to kind of bounce off of that, I wanted to talk a little bit about the year that was, the year that's got three more days left, just three more days, and kind of our hopes and dreams for 2018. And like, this was a rough year. It was hard. There was a lot, a lot of news, so much news that just came at you like a fire hose. And even if you like went to a movie theater and turned off your fucking phone because you're not a monster and you come out and go, so what blew up in the two hours that I was watching Wonder Woman stride across no man's land, which is one of the best things of 2017. Thank you very much. So, yeah, it was rough. The Trump presidency has been pretty much exactly as expected. And I feel like it's somehow been... I mean, it's been worse, but I also feel like we have been so dulled by the sensation of this horror that we don't entirely understand that it is. Or we understand, but we just have absolutely no way to quantify it. Yeah. Like, the man is basically a step and a half away from being a, a dictator. Yeah. And aided by essentially massively overfunded propaganda media system. And we're all just kind of used to it now. Like, you could count about a hundred plus moments from this year that could count as the worst thing Trump ever did. Like, yeah. he was constantly surpassing himself week after week. Yes. And we've almost forgotten shit like a woman was killed while protesting white supremacists in Virginia. Or the disrespecting of a military widow. Mm-hmm. Or just the sheer amount of, like, dictator-style claims he made of, oh, well, Trump isn't playing golf, that's fake news. It's like, we're fucking watching him play golf. Right. You you parked a truck in between the media and the golf course to try and hide the fact that he's playing golf, but he's playing golf. I guess someone said, I mean, that seems like such an insignificant thing, but that's him basically admitting, I can straight up lie to your face and you can see it and my fans won't care. Yes. That's like a a fucking... However, 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 there, well, there, there is a part of the Trump base that will always be the Trump base, and those people are not gettable. There's been a lot of stuff in the U.S. political machine that has been really hopeful this year. Like, we started off with the Women's March. Please don't cry. <laughs> <laughs> And we got a Democrat elected in Alabama, even though Roy Moore is, like, not accepting reality, but he's never been very good at that. Although I did just see that the judge has denied his claim of uh-huh. voter fraud. He's like, look, I'm just going to officially sign in. This guy said, are you to go away yeah. and get over it now? Yeah, exactly. Like, Roy, Mo- Roy Moore going to Roy Moore. And even the Alabama Republican Party is like, God... Please stop and I embarrassing think that us. A big, a big chunk of the Alabama Republican Party is going, 
oh my god, we dodged a fucking bullet. Like, they can't admit that out loud, but I think they think that. And there were big wins in Virginia for the Democrats. That, that one race that is either a tie or a Democrat one by one, not without standing, like, because the writers of this year are just ridiculous. Even races that should not have been special elections that should not have been competitive were competitive. The Democrats maybe didn't win, but the fact that we were even talking about a Democrat winning in Georgia and he came pretty close, that that was a thing. We also have an unprecedented number of women and women of color and people of color entering in races for 2018. And there are people challenging in almost every Republican seat in the House, which has never happened before. So the fact that the grassroots and the people are saying, fuck this noise, I'm going to do something. And we have groups like Indivisible and Swing Left and Run for Something. I'm trying not to cry. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, uh, this is the time to get sentimental. It is. Like, even if the party, the national party apparatus is a mess, and it always has been, and it probably always will be. Right. Um, because Democrats are not good about centering around one message, and Republicans are. Even if because that their message, message is evil. Is, yeah. I hate poor people. And I hate... I the, the Republican message is centered around hate at this point. It really and is. There used to be there used to be a party that was centered around how are you going to pay for all of this shit? Well, Democrats are like, let's buy all the things. And the Republicans are like, how are you going to pay for this shit? And a balance between those two types of parties is important in having a, a functional government, but that's not what we have. No. The, this idea that you used to have people who all cared about the country and maybe disagreed on like how best to care for it, which is fine because people have different, even, you know, doctors have different opinions on how to treat yeah. a patient, but you don't see that anymore, right? Like you don't see people in politics. It doesn't feel like they care. It's definitely the team sport of winning. Yeah. Um, but the, the groundswell from the people and saying, you know what, this is the time to do something, I feel like that's really hopeful. Uh -huh. And so, yes, there is a lot of bad shit. And I keep thinking about something that Mark, our favorite tour guide, said in The Real Mary King's Close. Oh, good old Mark. Good old Mark. We love our we love Mark. Mark was talking about the the plague in Edinburgh in sixteen sixty five and how it was one of the darkest times in Edinburgh history because sanitation and 
political and social infrastructure was so bad that tens of thousands of people died. And he said, this is a really dark time and it was difficult and it was terrible, but I think it was necessary because from that, Edinburgh started to get its shit together. Literally, like, maybe we shouldn't have a lake that is full of poo as our water source. It seems such a good idea in hindsight, doesn't it? (laughs) Well, it's what happens when you build a city, like, not on a river that can at least theoretically try and wash some of the the shit away. Literally. You get enough people and the river just becomes clogged with poo, like the Thames, but, you know, I'm just saying. So I feel like maybe this is that time or we can make this that time. Like a lot of, a lot of people are not going to survive this and, but we can't change what's already happened. We can only learn and move forward. And I feel like a lot of people are doing that and are doing just that from the local level up to the national. So that's where I am is I'm choosing to walk forward with hope. I'm reading and I approve this message. No, I mean, it is definitely, I mean, obviously, me and Elena are kind of like armchair commentators on this one because it's not our country, uh, although you guys do kind of like everything that happens everywhere else. You're welcome. Kind of a problem. Uh, but it is really cool to see women like Stacey Abrams running. Yep. Like, elect the romance novelist, guys. That's awesome. Or, you know, women like Danica Rome being... The, the transphobic douchebag who wrote the bathroom bill in Virginia. Yep. Yeah. Like, that's I, just that's the kind of like. And I don't talk badly about my constituents is still like the most iconic moment. That was just such oh. a perfect line. It was. It was like the writing for this year has been super cliched. But <laughs> it really works out. <laughs> it's a show on the verge of cancellation that's throwing all its shit at the wall. <laughs> But yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, the fact that so many women and women of color are running and, like, Democrats, you need to, like, listen to all the black women. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe they know what they're doing by bailing you out constantly and maybe white women need to get their shit together. Yeah. Although I did see something interesting the Alabama returns that I think it was, what, 50... It was a really high percentage of white women voted for Roy Moore. But if you looked at the non-evangelical white women in Alabama, it was a complete reverse. I didn't see that. Evangelical, I mean, Christian evangelicalism is a hot mess of a problem. And I, I have no idea, like, how to even begin to address it. Um, yeah, one of my, my best friend is actually an evangelical Christian and his response to all of this has just been, you know, I don't know what Jesus would have done, but I'm pretty sure he wouldn't have voted for the child molester. Right. Like, I, he could, I could reasonably say Jesus wouldn't have been for the pedophile. 
you know, like I don't need a Bible reference to know that. No, I don't need a Bible reference to know that. Um, yeah. So I, I think there is just such a disconnect between. I mean, it's it's the same people who keep using the Good Samaritan light. It's like you know, the Good Samaritan is a parable about stop being preachy, hypocritical douchebags, right? No, <laughs> no, they don't know that. I mean, they don't um, know, that's, it, it's not even anything to do with religion. Like Mike Huckabee doesn't give a shit about God. Like Huckabee no. just likes having it used to be a, a bigot. Like yeah. the human manifestation of the country of your jamboree got made really racist. Yeah. And hey, your your son kills dogs. Remember that? <laughs> your daughter bears false witness like literally every day. Like literally. There was a really good episode of With Friends Like These, uh, which is Anna Marie Cox's Crooked Media podcast, where she had a a former, oh, a woman who grew up as an evangelical. Um, and they talked about why this Jerusalem thing was so, was such a big deal for evangelicals and also kind of how people grow out of the evangelical movement. And that she said that a lot of people have, like they have children and go, oh, wait a second, maybe I don't want the world to end. Because I want my kid to grow up happy. Or remembering when she was a teenager and her parents were like, hopefully the rapture is like tomorrow. And she's like, I would really like for the world to not end until I've had a chance to try sex. (laughs) Like, I want to experience these things and the world needs to be here to for me to experience it. So maybe I don't want this. So, like, with friends like these is a great podcast, and people should listen to it. I think this is the thing because, look, we we know, all know that I know nothing next to nothing about Christianity. So, I forget that that's what the evangelicals are about. They're, they're literally about like, no, the world is going to end because we're all the Christian rapture, which I kind of understand a little. So I'm not going to like try to explain it on a podcast for myself and, <laughs> and others. Right. Yeah, like, I forget that that's just just such a weird mindset for me to live with. Just waiting for the world to end. Yeah. It also just seems to me, like, kind of anti-Semitic. It's like, Jewish people only exist to accommodate evangelicals waiting for the rapture. Like, that's the only reason that any of these people seem to care about Israel or Jewish people. And I actually don't think they care about any people that live in Israel, Jewish or otherwise. Oh, no. That's just another excuse to be essentially racist against Muslims and brown people. Mm-hmm. Like, we support is- Israel. No, you don't. No, you don't. You hear Palestine, and you think Arabs, and you think people I hate, so you're going to support Israel. Let's not pretend you give a shit. Right. That you're any less anti-Semitic than you were before. Like it- right. NPR's Code Switch was doing sort of a, a retrospective on 2017, and they were talking with somebody who was in Charlottesville during the unite the right right wing rally and he and Jean Denby and Marisol I think is that her last name shit I'm terrible anyway they had been sort of taken to task that they didn't discuss much the anti-semitic feelings of the right wing and the guy they were talking to, who is uh, a black journalist, was like, 
yeah, I mean, we talk a lot about how they're anti-black because that's sort of how we frame it. But I, I saw a whole bunch of anti-Semitic shit there. And I'm glad people took you to task for that. Like, anti-Semitism is alive and well in America. And I think a lot of it kind of went underground for a while. But it's there. And it's something that we have to deal with. How? I don't know. But it's okay, because Jared Kushner is going to fix the Middle East. Jared Kushner is going to end up in prison. Knock on wood. <laughs> that I mean, I'm that is one of my wishes to... for 2018, is one for somebody to finally go, say, we can't give this motherfucker a security clearance because he can literally remember nothing. I One of my favorite <laughs> tweets was the one, and I'm sorry I don't remember the attribution, maybe I can find it in my likes and attribute it in the show notes, is that Jared Kushner is going to get into prison as a legacy. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Whoever made that Twitter joke, again, not me, I will try to find it. That person is brilliant. That tweet is I mean, funny I'm not and true. Looking, I, I'm not looking forward to inevitably seeing Ivanka Trump prison widow memoir on the shelf talking about how brave and feminist she is being a hashtag woman who works because her husband's in jail because she ratted him out well conrad black's widow make an entire journal widow what am i saying wife me i'm sorry <laughs> i'm sorry because you just said widow like you're a prison widow a conrad's black wife made an entire canadian journalism career out of being like his wife while he's in prison remember that 2000s scandal. I know it was mostly very Canadian, a little bit British. I know nothing about this. He's like a big name Canadian mogul who renounced his Canadian citizenship to become a British peer. Uh, oh. Eventually, all of his financial machinations led to prison. <laughs> And his wife wrote for McLean's Magazine, which is one of the biggest weekly publications in Canada. And essentially, it was all about being, you know, so rich, but also my husband's in prison. Oh, hit me, Mimosa. Oh, woe is me. Yeah. He was on Have I Got News for You a couple of years ago trying to be like, oh, it's okay, I have a sense of humor about myself. And everyone was like, you're a fucking wanker. <laughs> anyway, so that's where I am with 2018 is... Forward with hope, which you said, which is a great political slogan, by the way. You should trademark that. Yes. Nobody swiped that for me. Although, I'm not going to run for anything because I can't be that nice to that many people for that long. I can't control my face. (laughs) Neither can Putin, but it's the Botox. (laughs) Right, well, I I can't afford Botox. (laughs) I mean, is it as bad as Berlusconi's face, though? Yes, who? Putin's skin, like, every time I see him on TV, he horrifies me. And mostly it's the face. (laughs) (laughs) The the, the former Italian president who may once again become the Italian prime minister, actually, because Italy has, like, things it needs to deal with. I think he's close to 80, but he kind of looks like the mannequin version of himself. Because Berlusconi is the one who also has black hair, like, like it's fake, like it's plastic on top. Whereas Putin has not gone that route. Hang on a sec. You looking for a photo? It's it's like the the Italian playboy with the with the with the yachts and the models. Mm-hmm. That type of. He was the one that was basically notorious for like getting nineteen year old supermodels and offering them positions as like members of European Parliament if they had sex with him. 
But Italy really like him. I keep electing him, even though he is massively corrupt and evil. And also, it's kind of like electing Rupert Murdoch because he's also an owner of a large portion of the Italian media. Italy as a country is even younger than the United States. They're just not good at it yet. Yeah, there is a wonderful book called Good Italy, Bad Italy. That's about uh, excuse me. Germany as a country is just as young. So what's Italy's excuse? They like sex they- more. They keep getting distracted by Nochi? I don't know. It's the hot weather. It just goes to your head. Right. Whereas we live in places where the air hurts your face. It's really cold here. (laughs) Speaking of Germany, poor Angela Merkel. May 2018 bring her a political ally she can actually stand to be around. Hmm. Can, can Justin just start doing some of the heavy lifting already? Nope, nope. We we noped out of the Israel debate so fast. Jesus, Justin. I was just so annoyed at that. The thing is, Justin, liberals as a controlling party have like let me down on almost everything, but not entirely spoiled for choice. So, uh, politics. See, this is one. I kind of understand people wanting rapture because sometimes I want a meteor to crash into the earth and I think I am perfectly okay with that. Yeah, but see, the difference is if a meteor crashes into the earth, then we all die. Whereas with the rapture, then the good Christians, whoever they are, get to go to heaven while everybody else dies slowly in torment and war and nonsense. So really, the meteor is the more altruistic choice. I am nothing if not a lover of humanity. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would kind of like the world to not end before I get to see the shape of water. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. I've waited all year for fish fucking, and I will wait more. On the bright side, I can now end 2017 by looking at pictures of Pennywise from it. I'm not freaking out instantly. Good job. High five me. There are a few art exhibits I'm looking forward to in 2018 also. I'll link to you guys some of them. They look nice. Mm-hmm. Please go to the Yayoi Kasami one. <sighs> That's a mirrors installation, I think it was, right? Yeah. yeah. But she's awesome. She's one of my favorites. See... I keep, listeners, I keep on linking all the various art stuff that's happening in Toronto, and I, secretly I always hope that Raiden will be like, I'm coming up to Toronto for the weekend, let's do it together. I thought that Guillermo de Toro would almost do it. <laughs> I'm super poor, I'm sorry. Yeah, even though it's not, like, unreasonably close, Boston to Toronto, it's still a thing. Yeah, there's a plane involved. I looked at the train, it was like 12 hours. Fair. If it was eight hours, would you do it? Maybe. I love trains. Yeah, there's a bunch of stuff I'm looking forward to next year, so as long as it all holds out. I mean, we don't get all of the interesting Oscar baity stuff until next year, so we don't get The Shape of Water until next year. We don't get Lady Bird until then. Mm. Um, I'm mixed on seeing three billboards, but I'll probably see it for completionist's sake. I mean, this was the year I got Twin Peaks, so I I don't expect television to ever top that. <laughs> so, I'm sure something fun will come along, but seriously, Twin Peaks is so good, you guys. It's made me very happy. Come Although, on. if you haven't seen, if you haven't watched Wormwood on Netflix, do that as well. Okay. Hmm. 
it's Errol Morris's documentary series that's mixed in with like dramatization starring Peter Sarsgaard. Not a Sarsgaard, a Sarsgaard. And it's about the American government scientist who was basically used as an LSD experiment guinea pig. And the massive, go- a massive cover up that led to. Uh, it's super fascinating and it looks gorgeous. So watch that if you haven't seen that one. Watch Icarus, which I know you all have. <laughs> which I actually haven't yet. Oh, you I thought you it. had. No, no, no. I've, I, see, I saw the trailer and I was like, I really need to put this on my watch list. And then, like I said, this vacation where I was supposed to watch everything, like Icarus and The Punisher, and I watched nothing because Final Fantasy fourteen happened. And I'm a nerd. Well, Fair enough. Well, hang up. Go watch Icarus. I mean, I feel like he will be especially intrigued by Icarus just because of all of the Russian stuff in it. Well, I mean, it is okay. So, space alone over the years is fascinating. For for the listeners, Icarus is on Netflix. It is a documentary into the Russia doping scandal, athletics doping scandal, Mm -hmm. the state-run program. It starts out out as basically this documentary maker wants to do like super size me, but with doping, to see if he can enter an amateur cycling race, doped up to the gills but test clean. So he enlisted this Russian scientist who he talks to over Skype while he's in his underwear and playing with his dog. And it starts out, it's just kind of like, oh, it's a wacky experiment. And then all of a sudden there's like massive cover up of state sponsored doping in the Russian Federation and this guy playing whistleblower. And it's super fascinating. It is. But seeing how this guy's life just gets completely fucked over because it's like Putin essentially puts a target on his back. Also, people possibly end up murdered. I mean, almost certainly ended up murdered. Yeah. Yeah, like, he had a heart attack. Uh, and everyone's like, no one believes that. I don't, like, if if uh, listeners, if you don't live in, which most of our listeners don't live in Russia, but, you know, with all the kind of storm around journalists in America, look up how many journalists die in Russia, are murdered in Russia, are found yeah. shot to death in, you know, the entrances of their apartment buildings. And I I can start naming names from when I was a child. Mm-hmm. So, you know. I mean, Britain constantly lives in the shadow of Alexander Litvinenko mm-hmm. because that story is just so bonkers to this day. The man was buried in a lead-lined coffin because of it. Mm-hmm. I-, I feel like people, as someone who is kind of journalism adjacent, uh, I, I wouldn't put myself in the League of Entities people, obviously, but when you are someone who writes about things for a living, be it in newspapers or on the internet, like, people, one, greatly overestimate your power, and two, assume that shit things that happen to you are something you deserve. I write about fucking Batman for a living, and I get the most ridiculous shit. Can you imagine writing about stuff that actually makes an impact? In a country where you know, Botox McGee is, you know, happy to slip uranium into your teacup. Yep. I mean, the one journalist I do know about is Anna Polakovskaya, because I saw a play about her. Right, She was, and uh, when she was murdered, you know, it was a more public, the world was more paying attention. I just linked to guys of Ladislav Listiev, who was assassinated in 95, which was the first one I remember. He was a really huge name. 
I hate the fact that there's a list at the bottom for assassinated or murdered Russian journalists. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, support freedom of the press, you fuckers. And turn off your ad block. (laughs) This is a really downer note. We need to make something happy. Are we doing an awards podcast this season? Yes. We'll do an awards. Um, I know we promised last episode we did the, all these hints about special episode. In this, uh, you know, it's it's still in the queue. There are reasons it didn't happen. Yeah, we are going to talk about Star Wars. We have many thoughts. We have decided that we're um, making our takes slow cooked <laughs> and artisan. So we're not late. We're well prepared. Exactly. We're we're letting everybody else have their knee-jerk hot take while we're slow cookers. Right. That's how that works. Yeah. But we'll do an award season podcast. We have to take a look at the timing of when nominations are announced. Because I, I remember looking and they were a little a little bonkers. What's coming up next? What's the first one? Uh, Golden Globes are not this weekend, but next weekend. Oh god, things are happening. I'm not ready for things. This the weird thing about being on vacation is that I like haven't been on Twitter in five days. I I feel very unprepared for the world, and for time, mm. for like things in general. Yeah, I'm very excited for this award season just because it is so strange and unpredictable, and it might actually be like interesting this year. Yeah, I mean, Get Out is a front runner. How many years has it been since the, one of the frontrunners for the biggest award in film season has been, you know, a genre-bending comedy horror social satire on racism that was released in February and made by a first-time director who's also black mm. and was also better known for being a sketch comedian? Like, that's very cool. Uh, there's a lot of women who are in the front running this year. There's just a lot of people who aren't white dudes. It's just nice. It's very exciting. And even the white dude stuff is actually quite interesting. Like, Dunkirk is great. Yep. Uh, Call Me By Your Name has had some wonderful write-ups. There's been mixed opinion on, on all the money in the world, but the fact that Ridley Scott even did it is kind of like just really badass in its own way. I mean, the Christopher Plummer replacement, first of all, upgrade, even regardless of the, what happened. That's true. That would well, have been... Well, Ridley Scott originally wanted and was told he needed to get a bigger star. First of all, I take umbrage that Captain Von Trapp isn't always the biggest star in the room. <laughs> I mean, you know, b- before this happened, I would have said, yeah, I like Kevin Spacey as an actor, but I still wouldn't have said he was the bigger star. I mean, I guess House of Cards is a pretty huge deal, but I'm kind of surprised about that assessment. I think it's because I have the cards and just... I mean, he is a two-time Oscar winner and on a big TV show. Yeah. And there's something that is more, like, quote-unquote, impressive to awards bodies and such when you slather an actor in prosthetics. Maybe. Maybe I'm just being so Canadian and being like, but but, but Christopher Plummer! <laughs> but that's right. Christopher Plummer, without any prosthetics, looks more like J. Paul Getty then Kevin Spacey did slathered in the stuff. That's true. And I am just so darkly amused that I'm sure that had Kevin Spacey gotten the nomination he surely expected from 
all the money in the world that he would have had a whole bunch of things to talk about research and process and christopher Plummer is like yeah i picked up the phone this is my own suit <laughs> it's great they were asking so what did research did you do for the role and he was like i didn't really do anything actually i just kind of turned up we were there for nine days it was nice and then i went back on holiday <laughs> And he's not like a bit part player in that movie. He is a co-lead. Yeah. I, I'm excited that Michelle Williams is getting good write-ups because she's a wonderful actress and we need something to balance out that greatest showman thing that she's doing. Yeah. Okay, so who's going to who's gonna bite the bullet and go see the greatest showman? I'm going to see it, but not this weekend. I might, if it's not too cold. To go. I feel like we need to talk about the fact that Hugh Jackman is making a singing, dancing, upbeat, go people, be yourself musical about P.T. Barnum? P.T. fucking Barnum. Yeah, we do need to talk about that. I mean, it's one of those, like, I have to go and, like, pretend it's a fictional story because I guess I get why they picked it. It's always, like, if you make it, like, based on a true story, people get more interested and whatnot, and people kind of know the name P.T. Barnum, and then you just pretend none of, like, you just take the name and pretend none of the others should exist. I mean, Hollywood does that a lot. But mm. the thing is, there is already a P.T. Barnum musical. It's by Cy Coleman. It's called Barnum, and it's great. It's got a song in it called There's a Sucker Born Every Minute. It's awesome. Maybe they couldn't get the rights. I was singing that song somewhere. You should listen to it. So I, I get why it was really a big deal for Hugh Jackman to have an original musical for himself. Because even in the world of musicals and theatre, it's very rare for even massive actors to get to originate a role. And one that isn't based on, like, a movie or a TV show or whatever. So that is obviously a big deal for any musical actor. But it's also, you're in one of the best movies of the year. It's called Logan. Why aren't you, like, promoting that movie? Right? God, I know that's not going to get the nomination, but... (laughs) How is Patrick Stewart not up for like I know Best Supporting yeah. Actor for that? I just mm. such a good that movie. Is, I mean, there are a handful of films that I, like award a nomination. I would like to see that's one of them. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see the Florida Project for just dominate because it's superb. Especially like I, I have mixed opinions on the way that we treat child actors and kind of elevate them to these heights they'll never reach again. But Brooklyn Prince in the Florida Project is so wonderful. And like, Daphne <laughs> Keene and Logan. Mm. Or stuff like, I even feel like we're underrating Dunkirk almost. I, I want to see the cinematography Oscar go to Dunkirk. I really, I don't know if, if I'm being cliched or cheap or whatever, or cheaply taken in, but like I walked out of that movie, I'm like, that's, I think I just witnessed the cinematography Oscar. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of the conversation around Dunkirk is what people expected it to be rather than what it is. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of coloured the way that we talk about it and we're actually underplaying just how incredible an achievement it is. Yeah. Because it's stunning. Mm-hmm. And I say that as someone who's a little bit of a like a Nolan cynic, for good reason. But he just does everything so on the money in that film and I feel like mm-hmm. we should respect that more. Right. Um, and one of the things that I really... I absolutely respect about Dunkirk is Nolan came up with this idea, what, like 20 years ago, and then went, I am not good enough to do this yet, so I'm going to work on my craft until I am good enough to do this. 
I mean, it's yeah. interesting here because of like, there's, there's three Dunkirk films out this year. Yeah, it, 2017 is the year of the Dunkirk triptych, which is fascinating to me. It's completely fascinating. And they're all British made. They're not all British directors, because one Sheriff is, is, is Danish, I believe. But, like, these are definitely very British movies. It's interesting to see how we protest through these different veins. I feel like we all thought we'd be talking more about Darkest Hour than we actually are. Yeah, well, I think that. We just assumed that, oh, Gary Oldman's got it in the bag, and I don't think he has. So, yeah. okay, before we. Let's name the three movies for people who don't. So, Dunkirk, Darkest Hour. And their finest. That's it, right? Their finest? Yeah. Yeah. Which is a movie about making a wartime movie about Dunkirk. (laughs) (laughs) But it's just the the different ways that we are looking at this very specific event. And the different ways that you can tell a story that centers around this very specific thing. It's fascinating. And I, I... I don't think it happened on purpose. I think this kind of happened accidentally. That there was something about the story of Dunkirk that made people want to talk about it in their different ways. Well, that's one of the things that got me about some of the conversations surrounding the Nolan film that kind of, I found very off-putting. Like there is a sort of infamous piece, I think it was in Marie Claire, where the writer went on this rant about how the film was just, a massive sort of toast to the egos of masculinity. No, I don't and think you like, watched the movie. It's like, yeah, no, that's not what the film's about at all. Actually, all things considered, I think Nolan is very empathetic about how masculinity is kind of the worst and how actually there is no shame in being a little bit of a coward. Nobody wants to die. Exactly, yeah. but how many times have you seen like a war movie or a big macho action film where there is like the slimy coward character yeah. who portrays just being the absolute worst and who has to get their come up and is probably played as a little bit effeminate? And mm-hmm. this movie doesn't do that. It's completely about survival at any cost and in that realization that actually you've escaped from the worst thing that's ever happened in your life and you're probably going to have to go through it again because we shall never surrender. And I thought it was stunning. Like, the last shot of Dunkirk is one of the best last shots of the year. Mm-hmm. And I wish people talked about that more than what they just want to talk about by way of talking about Christopher Nolan. I would quite like to see him make his Howard Hughes movie. Because he's wanted to make a movie about, like, the latter years of Howard Hughes' life for a long time. And then I think it was um, uh, Scorsese made it easier, so we put it off. Mm-hmm. But I would like to see that. Oh, and you should all go see Lady Macbeth whenever it comes out in DVD or streaming or wherever you see it. Cause it's awesome. Agreed. Agreed. That was a that was a stunning mindfuck of a movie. <laughs> Am I wrong? No, it's brilliant. <laughs> it's, uh, you haven't seen that one yet, have you, Alina? No, I haven't. You should. It's very yeah. Russian. Yeah, but... Okay, here's the thing. I... <sighs> I read the summary of the this version, which is, you know, transplanted into England and everything, because I have read, I have read half-skimmed the original story, the Russian short story it's based on, and I actually feel like everything Russian about it was kind of stripped out. I don't know, like, I feel like the way it ends, or the way it was made, 
for uh, an English-speaking audience. It's very similar to... I'm, I'm going to get really obscure here. I'm sorry. But there is a really um, famous piece of Russian writing, at least in Russia, called The Twelve Chairs. Kind of absurdist, dark comedy. And I caught it... And there's apparently a Hollywood adaptation of it from, I think, the 70s that I accidentally caught on TV. And it started playing. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, this movie... Like, it's in English. It's obviously an American movie. But I could swear it's 12 chairs. And then, like, it is. And that was uh, my actual first encounter with hot young Frank Langella before, <laughs> before Dracula. And that one was Frank Langella. And I was like, Frank Langella used to be hot? Is it Mel Brooks in that movie as well? Maybe. I don't... So anyway, and the ending to that movie is completely bowdlerized. Like in that movie, the two main characters, it's like a buddy comedy. Twelve Chairs is its essentially a, a set of 12 dining room chairs. And one of them has... Uh, in one of them, uh, a lady during the revolution has concealed her family jewels. So now she has died and her son-in-law is hunting for the... The set's been broken up and sold and he's hunting all over the country for it, trying to find it. Uh, and a con man joins him so they're on this kind of road trip comedy and then in the end when they finally hunted down in the book one of them murders the other the main character murders the con man the charming con man in the movie in the american movie of it they uh, and in the end there is no treasure the treasure has been discovered long ago and like a theater was built based on it because somebody said uh so it's it all he's committed murder for nothing very russian hollywood movie Nobody murders anybody. They discover that the treasure doesn't exist. And at first they're like, well, we have no reason to stay together now. But then they decide they make their friends. But the now, real so the treasure way- was the friends we yeah. made along the way. Right. Right. So <laughs> in Lady Macbeth, I understand. Like in the end, uh, like there's no, she's not beaten up by her lover who's now moved on to a younger woman while they are in a jail and being transported to Siberia. And she doesn't drown in the end. No, she drowns in her own loneliness and guilt. Right. So in the end, she gets to stay like rich, right? In the no, really. or like she's is she arrested? No. Yeah. In the Russian one, how the story ends is she and the lover are arrested for the murders. When they're in the prison convoy, there's also a young woman there. So the lover like steals from her, cheats on her, and then sets up his buddies to beat her up. And in the end, she when they're like uh, taking um, like a ferry across the river, she grabs the younger woman and drowns and like um, drowns them both herself and the and the other girl. That's very Russian. Despair. There is no hope. There is no light on the horizon. Despair and death in the Siberian winter. That's what you get. <laughs> That's very Russian. What what you got in the English Lady Macbeth is a happy ending by our standards. No, it is not a happy ending. <laughs> by our standards, it is. Okay, but like Russian happy is everybody else's miserable. So. Right, which is what I'm saying. When you guys are, it's so Russian. And I'm like, oh, they so Hollywood in it. <laughs> <sighs> go see it. Just go see it. Russia are actually one of the countries who have made the shortlist for the best foreign language film author. They haven't been nominated yet. But Loveless, are... right? Yeah. Isn't it the same director? Like, the Leviathan isn't just the same filmmaker. Yeah. It's the one that the Russian uh, government hate. Yeah. 
one Russian filmmaker who keeps on making movies that Putin hates, and he they keep on getting nominated for foreign language Oscars and like the goal of the Palme d'Or and everything. It won. It didn't win the Palme d'Or. It did win. I think it won the Jury Prize, which is kind of like third prize out of the major categories, which is something to sneeze at. But it is shortlisted with so Sweden got in, South Africa, Senegal, Russia, Lebanon, Israel, Hungary, Germany, and Chile. A bunch of big films did not make the list. So Zama, Argentina, didn't make it. Angelina Jolie's film didn't make it for Cambodia. Uh, Michael Haneke didn't make it. France's Beats Per Minute didn't make it. China's Wolf Warrior 2, which is basically Rambo, but Chinese, did not make it, shockingly. Um, I, I honestly, like the, the foreign language film Oscar race is so broken. The way that they do it is so, like, put together by people who don't give a shit about foreign film. I, I think Russia will make the final five. Because other than Sweden's film, The Square, it's probably the most well-known. The Square is the one that won the Palme d'Or this year. Mm. In the Fade got Best Actress there this year. Uh, a Fantastic Woman is Chile's one, which is a story of a trans woman fighting for the right to mourn her boyfriend after he dies. I would like to see that do very well because this is a, you know, this race is in danger of being very white, very straight, and very cisgender. And it would be nice to see that evened out. Speaking of uh, movies, there was a movie. I'm actually not sure if it came out. If I, if I, if this was a movie, I like. I remember reading about it, going like, "This has to be on my list." So either it's going to be on my list on streaming or when it comes out in theaters. But Jackie Chan's The Foreigner. Hmm. Is this Kung Fu Yoga? No, it, it's Jackie Chan's The Foreigner is apparently based on a book. It's the one where um, his daughter is killed in a bombing, in a terrorist bombing, and Pierce Brosnan is MI6, and Jackie Chan is like, who killed my kid? Right. And Pierce Brosnan won't tell him. It's from, let's see, the release date. So I think it was already released. Uh, probably wasn't very wide release, but it must be on streaming soon. And that's the one. And I remember reading kind of reviews that said, yeah, this is the one where it's uh, it's a more dramatic turn, but it's really great. I could swear I saw one comparison to kind of Logan where like it's set... You expect it to be action in this, in Logan's case, because it was superheroes. In this case, because Jackie Chan. But it's actually like just a really great movie that you forget that. Well, actually, he's a really good actor. <laughs> and still a massive box office draw in China, which everyone kind of forgets about. Mm-hmm. All right, I think we've wandered far enough afield, and hey, <laughs> you now have a preview of our award show podcast, which will probably be in February. See, Oscar nominations are announced on Tuesday, January 23rd. And the Oscars are Sunday, March 4th. So we'll have time to watch a bunch of these movies before then. We'll have time. Whether we will is another... Another story, because there might be another video game that comes out. I'm sorry. No, I'm not. You love me anyway. Somebody has to be the video game nerd on this Geek Girls podcast. That's true. Like, someone needs to be the Russian of despair. We don't have many other ones left. (laughs) And also the Canadian of politeness. You're versatile. I'm a complicated person. Exactly. We all contain multitudes. So, we'll see everybody next month.
Have a good night, everybody. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Thank you for listening to Anglofees, a Made a Fail production. You can reach us on Twitter at Anglofees. You can send an email to anglofees at gmail.com. If you enjoy the show, please leave a five-star rating and a review on iTunes to help other people find the show. Thank you.